people. This is the Chris College Show, Millennial Talk Show, Bunker Edition. Good morning, Marissa. How's it going, fam? Fabulous. I love our weather. It's gorgeous again. Not too hot. Not too cold. Not too cold. Yeah, we got the, you know, this is such great anticipation for Easter Sunday. I hope you have a great time with your family as much as I will as well. I can't believe it's already Easter. I'll just be honest. Like, I'm not ready. I haven't bought anything for my daughter. Nothing. (laughs) Hey, well, you know, there's still time, you know, to put some little uh, candy in the Easter basket. But hey, we always like to do this at the top of the show because on this day, 75 years ago, Jackie Robinson became the first African-American to play Major League Baseball, as well as we lost this legend back in 2001. Joey Ramone of the Ramones dies of lymphoma at the age of 49. That is way too young. And the Ramones, they're iconic. (laughs) But we got a great show for everybody that's tuning on in live on our YouTube channel because our Just Talking guest is author Andrea Van Landingham, here to talk about her brand new book, her first book ever, by the way, which is called Hollywood Horrors, Murders, Scandals, and Cover-Ups from Tinseltown. Also, our guest on Strike Accord is leaving for Arizona. They are a five-piece alternative indie rock band from Charlotte, North Carolina. Also, don't forget to check out our brand new episode of Off the Fret, more music, more music talk, featuring the band from New York, The Phoenix Within. All right, Marissa, it's time to rock and roll. What's good, listeners? Our guest live on the Chris College Show Millennial Talk Show is author of Hollywood Horrors, Murders, Scandals, and Cover-Ups from Tinseltown by Andrea Van Landingham. We got the amazing book right here. We are excited. How you doing, fam? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Well, you know, we're fabulous. Good to see you again. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy for you. Like, yes. And what Marissa means is because, obviously, Andrea hasn't been one of our guests on the show. But you used to be with us in the early days of the Chris Collins Show. And I know Marissa and I, we can't thank you enough for basically being where we're at. You're amazing. You're strong. So you you really are. Yes. And by the way, I've ordered your book. So I am. No, I am, like, obsessed obsessed he's got it i'm ordering it. Come it. this week i'm bummed i couldn't read it beforehand um but yeah i am good. like obsessed i can't wait it's thank you so much and andrea let's get right on into it because obviously i got the cover of the book right here hollywood horrors and you are a millennial i mean what made you want to write about this period where you know the backstage off the lot shenanigans were happening in hollywood yeah. So I, I don't know. I just grew up fascinated with these kinds of stories. I love old films. I love old Hollywood. And these scandals, I think they really do give us a little bit of insight into what gave us the media conditions that we have today. Mm. So I thought that's that was cool. important. Oh, that's yeah. kind of cool. I never th- really thought about it that way. But those mm-hmm. are the conditions we start thinking about. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. my first reaction was because i thought the same way i'm like thinking i'm trying to figure out why andrea would even want to pick this up and why would she <laughs> even want to talk about this topic do you even have any relatives that possibly were a part of any of these hollywood horror scandals no not that i know of okay have... thank god <laughs> yeah no thank goodness and like what makes your horror book different than others So I wanted mine to just be a really fun kind of grab bag, if you will, of Hollywood stories. So it is a collection, I'm sure you've noticed, Chris, of just short stories. You don't have to read it in order. You could just pick a story, start reading. I wanted it to be kind of fun and like gossipy like that. 
Yeah, and then kind of like the TMZ of like Hollywood horror. I love that. You said that. Yes. Yes. That's actually really funny you say that because that's something I say. I'm like, I'm the TMZ of dead people. Yes. I love that. That is all up my alley, like right there. But I know you're also a theater gal, Andrea. And I also want to bring up that I was listening to David Mamet. He was on last Friday on Bill Maher's show, Real Time with Bill Maher. And they were discussing the idea of writer's block. And David Mamet said a really funny thing when he was joking about how he can't afford to have those moments and what advice do you have for anybody because i know that this book right here is your very first time writing gosh it's over 250 plus pages that's not really easy to do at all so how did you overcome these obstacles thank you uh i agree i no one can really afford writer's block right that is just (laughs) such a thing um I, writer's block is real. It is real. And the way I got around it was really just finding other ways to jog that creative inspiration. So sometimes there would be nothing coming to me and I would just go and do some kind of arts and crafts or do something else for a little bit to take my mind off of it and let my mind kind of go into inspiration kind of chill mode and then hopefully then something would come but no it was not easy see that's interesting you say that so i took a writing class um professor jose cruz gonzalez right yes you i love him by the way um yeah right so i was in a play and we talked about writer's block and so i was like oh i have writer's block and his whole thing too was like you actually don't have it if you just sit there and just start typing just start typing or writing just like just do it and Mm -hmm. it's nonsense 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 and all of a sudden something should click so yes. I like the idea too that you said like you find another artistic inspiration mm-hmm. to then flip it into writing too. So that's like another way of thinking. I like that. Well, totally. how did, you know, well, how did publishing your first book change your way of processing, you know, writing? It gave me so much insight into even what goes into writing a book. I will admit when I first went into this, I had no idea what to do, how to do it. I just thought... <laughs> Like Marissa just said, just start writing, just stream of consciousness, go for it. And then something will click into place. But right? I guess that, that's what I want to know from you. It's like, how did you just randomly want to start writing a book? Because I know you are very heavily involved in the television and film world. I know you are also behind the scenes and a lot of theater projects, but how do you have the time to do this? And why did you even want to do this? This was my pandemic baby. So I had time <laughs> when when I was doing it. Um, now it's a little bit different. Um, trying to work on part two is a little bit different now because I have 12 hour days that I work. Sometimes it's 15 hour days. And so when I get home, you know, where does one find the energy? But at the time, um, it, it was honestly just the most just random occurrence that led to this happening. It, I got it based on a referral the publisher was already oh. developing it. So they needed an author and I was connected with the opportunity and wow. happened. See, I, yeah, I want that, that. I want that. Hey, I want the book written. Can you just go ahead and write it? Can you send me that opportunity? Well, that's, <laughs> Honestly. that's actually very intriguing that you just referenced that, Andrea, because how, how do you, when you're not necessarily in the book world, this is your very first book ever, a mm-hmm. publisher reaches out to you looking for an author that already has, I guess the basic overlays already set up in place, but then they are looking for a voice. How, do, how does that happen you know who made it happen this was another cal state la um connection here for us um steve lopez from la times yes uh, 
he's a professor at Cal State LA. Yes. My writing that's professor. Right. Yes. Oh my gosh, how cool. Networking. Yeah. It's all the yes. networking part of it. That's why I went to the grad school too. It was like networking. It's how Chris and I got together, right? Yeah. It was all mm-hmm. that networking grad school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That is very fascinating because obviously Steve Lopez saw something special in you. Obviously you must have the writing talent because I can say this again. I mean, there's a lot of times when I'm getting prepared for a radio show, I got it all in the dome, but it's not as easy to get down on a piece of paper to make sure you keep yourself in track. And I find that so cool. And like, what are some of the most difficult things uh, that you've experienced when it comes to your artistic process? Oh my gosh, hands down, the hardest thing is, is one's own limitations, my own Mm. thought process. I had to do a lot of growing and a lot of of changing my own mindset about my creativity and my ability to even pull something like this off. Because I will admit there were days that I I wanted to give up. I didn't even want to do it anymore. I was feeling uninspired, scared, whatever. But I just, I had to push past all of that because at the end of the day, this is a fantastic opportunity that doesn't fall into everyone's lap. So I had to follow through. So I think that was the biggest thing for me i think that's so cool because as a set dresser by day and a hollywood historian by night as you like to call yourself i think that is so groovy uh what's been your impression of hollywood to date what's your thoughts oh my gosh nothing's changed no i'm just <laughs> kidding. I love that. Okay. I love that. Like, and when you nothing. say nothing's changed what do you mean I'm i mean kidding. are you talking about some of the <laughs> themes that are going on in this book you know, in a lot of ways, it has changed. It has improved. We have a lot more transparency now that we get to enjoy due to things like social media, conversations that now are being had out in the open that had never been had before. So in a lot of ways, it is better. But I will say uh, at its nature, there are still some problems with the industry in terms of its exploitation of people Mm -hmm. whether it's the celebrities or the workers or whoever it's the machine still runs the same way even though there are some things that hurt some people a little bit less does that kind of make sense yeah because that's sort of what i was trying to get at because when i was reading this book i kept thinking about obviously people are not like dying as much i don't think like like like, like, we're not doing the black doll yeah they're not getting cut up and made into like yeah we're not like (laughs) it's not like fatty arbuckle you know that whole infamous story read about Mm -hmm. it it's right in the opening chapter of this book it's fascinating but Mm -hmm. is there a dark side of tinseltown and is some of this still being perpetrated as like the casting cows, for example. I mean, I was just listening to this uh fascinating take on the the chemical x podcast where the girl, the host on that show, was talking about how she was basically virtually being groomed. Uh, mm. They were told her they send her bathing suits, they have her try it on, then she comes on Zoom and they go, oh wow, you're so beautiful on Instagram, but you don't look like who you are on Instagram right now on this Zoom call. So we're a little concerned. Can you try on these bathing suits in front of us? Oh, by the way, do you have brown nipples? Because we want to send you a white bikini. That to me is a virtual casting couch. That's strange. And so when we hear about these kind of stories uh, happening to effect, how, how is it easier for women to break in this industry? Because obviously we still have these crazy tropes today. That is horrific. I, wow. In a lot of ways, I think, yes, these things are still being perpetrated because, I mean, how recently did we have the first vestiges of, like, Me Too? This was only maybe five, six years ago. Right. And and if you think about it, there's only a handful of people who we can think of that have been called out for that. And I know for a fact, I know for a fact that there are so many more people uh, who are 
perpetrators in, yeah. Yeah. in in Hollywood and they have not had their time yet being called out. So who knows? I, I don't know if it's easier now. Well, but... I, you know, I, I will tell a personal story actually real mm-hmm. quick. I've actually never said this story live on the Chris Collins show, Millennial Talk Show. I've, I don't even know if I've even told you, Marissa, this story. Mm. The very first feature film I ever worked in Hollywood was given to a good friend of mine. He let me have the opportunity to be a PA. I will not say the celebrity's name on air but he is a very famous uh host i guess you could say tv host out there there was a moment where he was asking me he goes hey could you meet me on the side of the house i just want to ask you a question real quick we've all became real good friends on the set he comes up to me and goes hey could you meet me in the bathroom real quick and give me a handy real quick so that i can get ready for this shoot no way that is a real story i'll tell you off off the, off the scene marissa and andrea but that's a very uh, real thing that happens to both. Yeah, what do you what do you think, Marissa? But no, it's, it's it's a very real thing that happens no, with men and women today. I that was my very first. I guess I make a, I make I, a joke out of it, and I, and I apologize, make a joke. Because I know you. I it's know not my first doing. time that I've had that head up to me. It's not. It's so common for women in this industry. I mean, it happens to men too, but for women, like how many times I've had that type of a comment? Oh, hey, come do this. Oh, you're so gorgeous. Oh, you know what? Let me go ahead and fix your strap. Oh, let me have your right. wiring, right? And they put their hand, trying to put their hand down my shirt to fix my wiring. So much bullshit. That's why I make a joke, just because like of of trying to like get past that pain. That's why my right. daughter is not in the industry and I do not want her in the industry because she's not equipped to handle. Yeah. At least you're an adult. Imagine if he would have done that to you and you were 16, 15, right? Trying to understand what's happening. Who knows? And that's so interesting that you brought that up, Marissa, because those are some of the themes, Andrea, that you explore in this book about how sometimes the mothers become the agent on a level for some of these young talents. And Mm -hmm. do you see that sort of being a problem when you jump into the entertainment industry? Or do you sometimes see that as a good thing? So then you can kind of shelter and make sure that your child is safe amongst these grown ass group of men and women. Oh, that is a very interesting question. Um, The concept of the stage mom really is a tale as old as time, right? It has been around truly since the very beginning, as you can see in the William Desmond Taylor case with Mary Miles Minter and her mother really pushing her towards this stardom as early as the 1920s. We do still see that today. I mean, I don't know if if it's good or bad, if they're able to, you know, shelter and take care of their kids. I think in a way, I don't, this is just my opinion. I think in a way it's, it's a little bit exploitative because the whole concept of a child star is, you know, the, the kid can't really say whether or not they want to do it because they're they're kids. That's yeah. true too. What are you going to do? You got to kick them to the curb and go find the uh, <laughs> homeless ten outside of the LA studios to be able to make a living, and then obviously that paycheck goes to your parents and not necessarily you yourself. Know, and mm-hmm. I have to say, Jody, Fo- I, I believe it was Jody Foster. Um, it was, it was a child star that grew up, and I'm almost positive it was her. Um, she had said that in, if you wanted to protect, if you want to protect your child in the industry. You have to be that manager mom to the extreme. You can't ever leave your child alone. You don't let them go to um, the the actor's house. You yeah. know, there is no sleepovers. Well, you are so 24 seven um, yeah, with yeah. your child to protect them. Why would I want to do that to my kid? Like, it kind of blows my mind when parents are like, oh, my kid's so cute and you put him in there. I'm like, you want your kid to have problems? Most child stars grow up addicted to drugs, suicidal, exploited, and unhappy and get out of the business. Very few are like Jodie Foster and are happy and thriving. And I think few. that's such a great point, Marissa, because you know, even on the Howard Stern show, 
show, they had Molly from SNL. And you can be a grown-ass woman. Still don't go up to the hotel room. She was explaining how Gary Coleman was all over here trying to hump her leg, trying to have sex with her when she was a virgin. This happened this week where she's explaining this story about her new autobiographical. So this is a very real thing for especially women and including men as well. So please be careful when you're in the entertainment industry. But let's start to switch topics, Andrea, because I know that you are in the television, film, and theater world. And a couple years ago, Barry Diller made his name in the film industry industry as the chairman and CEO of two Hollywood studios. Do you know those, by the way? I'm just curious. I don't know. <laughs> well, he, it was Paramount Pictures and what was then called 20th Century Fox. And now he's declaring that the industry is dead. Do you feel the same way? I don't think it's dead. I think it's in a period of intense change. I think we're seeing kind of what we saw in the transition from silence to talkies, right? Mm -hmm. Because now we're going from, you know, theaters to streaming. So I don't know if it's dead. I just think it's it's going through a me major metamorphosis. Well, I think that's a great point that you're referencing too, because obviously there was the days of the Magic Lantern, you know, where mm -hmm. you go to the, your Nickelodeon, and I'm not talking about Channel 300. We're not talking about SpongeBob. We're talking about actually <laughs> the first open theater opened up in Pittsburgh. I was totally thinking that's what you're talking about. I was like, where are we going with SpongeBob? Girl, like, I was like, where are we going, Chris? <laughs> you know, you pick up this book, you're going to learn a whole lot of things. But Nickelodeon, you know, the five cents to get in and go see one of your favorite things. But back then, obviously, that was the big biggest spectacle back in the 1920s but now with streaming services available in the palm of our hands we can watch it on a big 65 inch screen we don't necessarily have to go see the batman in theaters so with the substantial decline in ticket sales do you see the movie business ever coming back I do. I think it's such a money-making machine and has been for a hundred years. They are going to find ways to capitalize in other ways. They just, they are. And they are in a way. I mean, think about how many more theaters are swapping over to allow you to eat an entire dinner, reclining mm -hmm. chairs, more space. So it feels like your living room versus like, I'm in a cubicle, uh, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think they are trying to get more comfort and quality versus the quantity of people they can load up. I think that's, you know, a great point. I think some of the more promising things about the revival of box office sales is I was reading this morning that Jim Carrey actually has his highest uh, earning of opening weekend with his new film, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. It beat out Bruce Almighty, believe it or not, CCS family. Wow. That's pretty insane. So if you see that, that's kind of promising. But according to Barry Diller, he says streaming has altered the film industry in substantial ways, including the quality of movies now being made does he have a point i sort of think so mm -hmm. i agree i think it is a quantity versus quality kind of game and her uh, marissa that does kind of harken back to what you were just saying because they are trying to make it more of an experience now to go out and see a movie kind of like in the old days i mean before people would put on their best suit to go see the yeah. movies and there would be a before show there would be an after show it would be a, a whole night out and I think they're trying to kind of bring that aspect back to try to sweeten the deal a yeah, it's kind of like the Hollywood Bowl when you go you go see Finding Nemo it's probably one of the worst examples I'm saying but you get what I'm saying they would have an actual orchestra in front of the screen or you go see Star Wars and they'll play the music in front of you do you see those kind of spectacles start to arise even more after this post-pandemic I do. I really do. Because I think the live experience, the in-person experience is going to become the new premium experience. And the more accessible version of that would be something that all of us can do. We can stay home and stream. 
So um, I, I do think so. They are going to try to make that more of like the premium night out experience. For I sure. think that is so cool. And you know what? This is such an amazing book, Andrea. And have you ever considered turning this into a podcast series? Because you I know should. true crime fans would absolutely love to hear you indulge more into every single scandal, cover up and murder. Have you thought about it? Ooh, I love that. I have thought about it. I thought of doing like a video podcast, but truly I'm trying to get someone get me in touch with Ryan Murphy because I want <laughs> there we go yeah <laughs> you put it out there you know Ryan Murphy Call get him there and anyone who is interested in purchasing a copy of your book where should they go okay Amazon Barnes and Noble Powell's anywhere books are sold the last bookstore in downtown has it as well that oh, I love so that one! Yay! <laughs> hey, support your independent local shops. Love we it. love you so much, Andrea. And thank you again for joining the Chris College Show Millennial Talk Show. What's good, listeners? Joining us on Strike Accord is five-piece all-indie rock band from Charlotte, North Carolina, is leaving for Arizona live on the Chris College Show Millennial Talk Show. Also, check out our brand-new podcast called Off the Fret, featuring the Phoenix Within. More music, more music talk out now wherever you listen to podcasts and YouTube. And we got quite the Motley crew here. Here we are. We got the whole band with us. How are you guys doing? Good, how you Hey, we're doing good. I know you guys are some big ass dudes. I just have to admit, okay? And like, I'd like to see Will Smith try to and walk up And a beautiful female, too. Let's well, not forget too. our awesome drummer I, in that well, middle, right? Marissa, right in that middle, hey! Marissa, you just ruined my whole punch joke I was trying to get at. Um, I was trying to be like, I'd like to see Will Smith try to get up on stage and try to smack one of these boys. Because I happen. know for a fact happen. that Aubrey, <laughs> she's clearly the drummer in the band because... I'd bet money that she keeps both of you guys in check. All you guys, I, or rhythm, I'm assuming. Is that right, Aubrey? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I try to keep them in check. But I still got big boy energy. Don't, don't get it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. That, that I can tell. You know, I see those guns. Yeah, That's guys, right. I, I, think, I think all the boys can understand that because you are behind them. You are on the kit. And any of those guys act up, you got a drumstick coming your way, okay? <laughs> But guys, you know, uh, you guys are a band from Charlotte, North Carolina, which begs the question. I mean, where did the idea for the band name Leaving for Arizona come from? Because I kept thinking of the joke of uh, Joakim Noah when he was on the press talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he goes, who the hell thinks of Cleveland? No one thinks about going on vacation to, you know, Cleveland. There's nothing to do there. That's how I felt about Arizona. What are you going to do? Turn into a pink Whitney bottle when you show up in Arizona and go hang out in Laughlin? No, Chris legitimately was like, oh, it's Leaving from Arizona at first because we couldn't understand why anybody would want to go to Arizona. (laughs) So I want to know from you guys, where did the band's name come from? Well, we had a a bass player back in the day. Aubrey and I played in a band together and he was the bass player. And when we started, yeah, yeah, like way back now, uh, when we started playing music again, he was like, yeah, I'll play bass for y'all. And then he ended up moving to Arizona to be with his girl and as like so homage, he's still kind of like, like this hidden sixth member of the band on a level? I, in a way. It's Does he like, know that like, that's what your guys' band name's named after him on a level? An homage to him, yeah. yeah. But, uh, like, that's that's sort of interesting. Okay, now that all makes sense. That all makes yeah. sense. But do you guys even plan on going to Arizona anytime soon? 
Hey, if the cards are on the table, we're there. <laughs> hey, let's get it on. I love that response. That is so cool. And you know what? Marissa and I were beyond honored to showcase the world premiere of your brand new single, Number Stations, live on Strike Accord. And clearly the theme of this track is toxic relationships. So what is Leaving for Arizona trying to embody in this song? Well, it's, it's just kind of like um, the toxic relationship. And like you can take it in however you'd like to. Uh, it, can, it doesn't have to be romantic. It could also be platonic. But in, mm. in our sense, it was about a relationship. Um, well, uh, let's, it, let's uh, pick uh, Lance's brains for a moment. Because, you know, you are the vocalist, you know. And I did pick up a particular line in the track, which is the chorus. And you say, stop wishing away those years. Enjoy them while you're here. They'll be gone before you know, so hold on and don't let go. Uh, so that begs the question for me. It's like, do you think the problem with our generation is that we don't live in the moment enough? Is that yeah. what you're trying to encompass? Yeah, a lot of people just like, like especially like even I'm sure all of us, like when we were younger, it was like, I want to be grown up. I want to be grown up. I want to do this. I want to do this. Yeah. And you just kind of like wish your life away. And then when you're older, you like realize you didn't actually enjoy any of the time you had. You were just wishing you were older yeah. so you could do more stuff. Is it sometimes that, you know, people kind of struggle with that instant gratification? Is that something that Numbers Station is trying to encompass? Yeah, I, I would say so. Probably just like always wanting like, just like quick gratification. And, like you always want to be happy. Like when times yeah. get hard, like don't don't wish away the bad times and yeah. only want to get to the good parts of your life because sometimes there's like lessons to be learned in the, in yeah. the bad times. I think, I think that is so true, and I think that's such a powerful message. And you know what? We are beyond thankful that we even get to have the world premiere of Leaving for Arizona's brand new single, by the way, that's going to be dropping on, on all streaming platforms on April 29th. But you guys are in for a treat. You get to hear it first right now on the Chris Collins Show. This is Number Stations Live.
that's what's good. That is the world premiere of Leaving for Arizona's brand new single, Ooh. Number Stations. We absolutely love it. Love man. it. So like, freaking love cool. it. Really <laughs> and, cool. And this is Strike a Chord, where if you physically or digitally pick up that record, you're going to know these tracks. And we got the five-piece alternative indie rock band from Charlotte, North Carolina, here with us now. They are Leaving for Arizona. And when you guys are coming up with new material, what tends to come first? Is it the lyrics or is it the song melodies? Uh, definitely melodies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely melodies. Definitely the melodies. You, yeah. you know, is it something because of uh, maybe Lance is doing that's throwing up the game? Lance, do you want to defend yourself from the rest of the crew? Yeah, usually <laughs> what it is is I, it, I find it easier to get the vibe of the music from the rest of the band and write to that than for me to come in just with lyrics and try to have them fit that mold. Okay, so do you guys like collaboratively like join in together, like discussing like the sort of theme that you're feeling when it comes to the the guitar melodies? Because I'm sure you know Cameron, you're the bassist too. I mean, you're kind of keeping the baseline in check. You might have an idea that you might want the rest of the guitarists to kind of sway with you. I mean, how does that how, explain to anybody that's not familiar with trying to assemble a song together? Well, I mean. Thankfully, the, the whole band is open to any ideas. So really what we do is when we sit together, you know, we come up with the melody and, you know, come up with bass line, drum line, stuff like that. And it makes it very easy to kind of mesh everything together. And then, you know, then you got the lyrics. And before you know, it, you have a song. Yeah, I think that is so you, cool. You make it sound so easy. Like here I am, <laughs> I'm not musically talented at all. And I'm like, and it's just like that. And then you have a song. Like, I love yeah, that. You, you just do a pre, you know, pre-chorus, chorus first, and then yeah. pre-chorus, chorus. Have amazing <laughs> band members and an awesome drummer, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it really does help out when everybody is so musically talented. Clearly, like, Leaving for Arizona is. And the next track that we're about to be playing from you guys is Deja Vu, which is a song about trying to save a relationship that's clearly not working out. I mean, at least that was my take. I mean, how, how would you guys say? I, I hear giggles. What, what, so what's going on? Is that the overall thing? Or is this a particular story around one member? Uh, not really. Um, we just kind of, we just have a common theme yeah. going and it's unintentional, but <laughs> like writing it's through just, like life experiences, it just kind of comes out a yeah, lot of the time. A, kind of a pool of our experiences, really. Yeah, because it, it's, it's from all different corners of the band just pitching in. Okay, well, if that's uh, the case, then what does deja vu mean to you? Pretty much what you said. It's, it's about like kind of going through the motions constantly with the same person over and over and over and over, whether good or bad. Yeah, so you so basically you guys are trying to encompass the idea that like sometimes there's instant chemistry when you first date somebody. You know, everything seems to be so perfect, almost as if you've known that person longer than you have dated, right? I mean, is that something that the message of this song's trying to, you know, say to that listening audience? Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I like how you guys are just like, come on, man. Don't put me on the spot like, with my hey, dating lifestyle. I know. You're like, whatever, whatever meaning you want, whatever meaning you want, you can have. No, you guys are like, come on, man. Don't get into my dating sex life. Just let the music speak for itself, man. Come on, man. I, you know, and I think that's cool. I mean, I think that's always kind of fascinating about certain artists like you guys yourself, where you guys kind of leave the song to be kind of like an open book. You create your own next chapter when you hear this track. And let's have the 
the CCS family experience that same feeling as well. So we are about to be playing your guys' lyric video for Deja Vu live on the Chris College Show Millennial Talk Show. track deja vu if you want to listen to it go on streaming platforms it's on their amazing ep called missing out and we got the band with us now on strike accord where if you physically or digitally pick up that record you guys are going to know this tracks and let's throw it off to alex here for a moment alex i want to know from you 
What are some of the plans that Leaving for Arizona's got going on coming into the summertime of 2022? Uh, right now, we have, I think, two shows planned right now. Hey, that's what's good. I, I mean, how has it been during the pandemic? Has it been uh, quite challenging, I'm assuming? And how did you guys kind of leap over those obstacles? Yeah, for sure. Uh, when we got together in 2020, uh, it was extremely rough just trying to get everybody together to get things, you know, to try to work on stuff. It kind of helped us in a bit to where we could spend some more time together. You yeah, know, I think that's so true. To connect. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and like, and like, let's throw it off to you, Aubrey. I I see that you guys are all in a room together right now. But uh, do you guys have your own recording space? I mean, where do you guys go to practice when maybe you guys might not have rehearsal spaces out in North Carolina? I don't even know what the music scene's like over there. I mean, how do you guys make it happen? Uh, we're really fortunate. We're actually sitting in our practice space right now. It's like a practice place uh, slash recording studio. It's a big space that used to be Cameron's uh, grandpa owned it as a printing shop. Oh, okay. And, uh, we've kind of just over the past year or so, we just moved in here last February, but just trying to get all our instruments set up, all the gear. We just recently bought a vocal booth, just trying to uh, just have a better like recording quality and everything. And uh, so, yeah, we're just really fortunate to have a good space because some people are recording in like storage spaces and things or somebody's basement or. Yeah. I mean, people have you are... thought about, have you thought about once you get it all set up, renting that space out since so many people in your area are kind of struggling with getting one and, you know, not making it too expensive maybe, but making that extra few little dollars. Uh, I'll chime in on this one. Uh, we haven't really thought about maybe renting it out, but uh, we have thought about maybe trying to do some collaborations with other artists in the area. Mm -hmm. You know, because tr trying to find recording time is most definitely difficult to, to get around here. You know, like, you know, you say in California or Atlanta, you have, you know, quite a bit of a music scene and there's recording studios everywhere. Right? Everywhere. Right. Other yeah. than mom and pop stuff, you know, a guy, in, you know, at his house just for a hobby, you don't really have anything commercial wise here. And it's also very expensive, <clears throat> a lot of time yes. and a lot of money yeah. per hour to go and try to record something. So that's why we've taken the initiative to try to do as much as we can ourselves just to kind of save money um anywhere that we can yeah i think that's such a very real thing and i know with what okay. you guys are doing right now including the amazing single number stations is there any development happening is there anything that you can tell us right now i mean are you guys currently working on a brand new record is there an ep or an album in the mix i mean spill the beans let us know what's good well we're talking about actually we just finished recording another single and there we go. We've been tossing the idea around to put out another EP. Okay. Uh, we just like doing smaller releases because I think, feel like it's more engaging with people when they got one thing to look forward to. Is that because you guys are going off this understanding because of how streaming services work? Because oh, I know yeah. the first person I could think of is Ronnie Radke. I mean, I love his band Falling in Reverse, but I can't stand that he's always dropping singles. I'm like, where's the album? See, Where I love singles. Album? I'm a single girl. <laughs> I love that, like, ooh, a new song. Ooh, a new song. Like, like, I, clearly, I am that person. <laughs> clearly, uh, Marissa and I were on the complete polar opposites on how we feel about this. I feel like that's very much a hip-hop direction. But well, how do you guys is, feel? I mean, nowadays, nowadays, you don't see people really going. Like, you go to FYE, and they only sell used records now. Like, <laughs> you don't really go out there and buy an album anymore. Uh, I mean, you listen to i think people are more like like they'll tear down an album a lot harder than they will a single and so like 
our idea is we can put out singles throughout the year and then we can put something out at the end or we can put out another single and then hit you with two tracks. Ariana Grande does that. FYI. (laughs) I just want you to say every song is a single. Favorite artist. (laughs) Yay! I knew it. I knew it. It's all full circle. I see where you guys are going with this. But you know what, guys? The last song that we'll be showcasing on Strike Accord is Conversations, which brings me like this early 2000 vibes, which I think is so cool. You guys got beautiful guitar riffs, flawless drumming, and let's not forget about the bass. We all need a bass player in the band, and that bass line is killer. I love it, my man. But Lance, you guys got something special going on with this and i know uh you guys are often are referencing in this track uh friends family or is it both i mean what did you want us to interpret when we listen to this track Uh, so i'll chime in on it but i'll let them afterwards because this is actually a song they have written before i joined the band so Uh. it has two drastically different meanings like to me when i think about it a lot i i incorporate like performing live like the fear of like not wanting to fail there is how i took the lyrics whenever they just had me like sing it because it was written before i joined but i know it has like a completely different message to them yeah so let's hear the rest of the band's thoughts that's that's okay i like that uh in high school when aubrey and i were in a band together i actually wrote the riff it had to be 2010 yeah. Something like that. Okay. Okay. And we just kind of <laughs> carried it over. It was one of the first like riffs I ever like wrote that was mine. And uh, when we started writing lyrics for it, the idea kind of still stemmed from where the band name came from, where my buddy Prince was moving to Arizona and he was leaving behind his entire family and all of his friends. And uh. so like the whole like standing on my own now, you know, and everybody's looking at me, it's because he was on his own when he went out to Arizona and that's kind of like what it meant to me. But that was the big thing is we try to like allow the listener to develop their own opinion about it. And that, that was great when Lance came in and he made it his own meaning. But you know what? There well, was we can, we can also hear the song. So we have time. No, I think so too. And I, but I just do want to leave it off on this final note. I think that is actually so fascinating, especially since we just talked to our previous guest, Andrea Van Landingham, talking about writer's block and talking about how David Mamet would say, Hey, sometimes if you, if you fall into that trap of not knowing what to talk about necessarily, why don't you pick up an old material like you guys did and revisit it? And then it could be something special. Clearly, that's the case for Leaving for Arizona. And we're going to play that track right now on the Chris College Show Millennial Talk Show. This is their lyric video conversation.
is their track conversations and we have leaving for arizona thank you guys so much for joining us and aubrey yes. continue to keep these boys in rhythm keep them in check hold the fort down for us we're so excited for the future of you boys and girls and let us know what's good in the future and thank you again for joining the chris collins show millennial talk show but we want to give another huge shout out again to Andrea Van Landingham. She's got an amazing book. Yet again, it's called Hollywood Horrors, Murder, Scandals, Cover-Ups from Tinseltown. So go ahead and pick that up at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore, including the Amazing Striker Court artist, Leaving for Arizona. Check out their brand new EP. It's called Missing Out. So many amazing tracks, including that new single dropping on April 29th. And... Guys, we got a brand new Off the Fret episode that's going to be coming next week, so and go ahead and keep a lookout for that. Cannibal Kids is going to be joining us. Talking about next week? Who is our yes, guest for next week? Yes, we got to jump that out real quick because we're way over time, but are just talking guests. This is so cool. We got Tony Ramos. He is the director of a documentary called Ride Till I Die, which is a bull riding documentary. I don't really know much about it, but we also got one of the bull riding stars, little Ricky Ringer. He's going to be joining the director as well. So you guys are in for a treat. And if you like what you're listening to, go to thechriscollinsshow.com and become a member today and get that free CCS t-shirt. For now, enjoy the week. Weekend. Enjoy your Easter Sunday. Peace. The Chris Collins Show presents Music Storm 2021, hosted by Chris Collins and Marissa Pitts, featuring Tiana Kutcher, Some Daggers Wear Red, Desmond Walker. I wanna see the world with you. Dulos. Saturn till June. Music loud, driving fast. YT Will. It feels good to be the bad guy. Walk these shoes, you'll see why. Look at things from both sides. Ain't nothing like the EC Main. The Phoenix with Ben. There's more weight in my words than you give me. Chloe Wilder. Jonas and I. An animal son. So tell me how these reasons to carry on. Music Storm 2021 available on YouTube Live. Peace. Our brand new podcast off the fret. I love it. It's more time to chat. <laughs> Hello. 
You look you so jazzy. I love your outfit. How far would you go to start playing live music again? This slaps harder than my ex when she got her stimulus check. So, um, <laughs> so um, are you here to bring the sexual healing with your music? Called Everything is Everything, and I guarantee you're going to hear this song in the future. I love the flow, man. Politically charged album. So if you get easily offended, this might not be the album for you. Brand new podcast off the fret. So excited. Um, has Kim Kardashian accidentally sent you a coochie shot? Do you want to stay there? It's completely your choice. Or you want to... <laughs> I feel you. And you know what I love? Off the fret. More music, more music talk. Peace. What's good? I'm Chris from the Chris Collins Show Millennial Talk Show. The Phoenix Within, a rock project hailing from Queens, New York, released their long-awaited full-length album, Overdue, joins Off the Fret. More music, more music talk.